Matthew chapter 11. This is a very famous passage, verse number 28. Matthew chapter 11 and verse number 28. Thank you, church, for your prayers this week. Thank you so very much for keeping us covered in prayer as uh, we do the work of the Lord. And uh, I can honestly say there's no place that I enjoy doing the work of the Lord any more than right here at home. And it's always good to be home in this home pulpit. Matthew 11 and 28, if you're there, say amen. One of the greatest invitations in all the world. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Somebody say rest. He said, if you'll come to me, I will give you rest. Verse 29 is so powerful. He said, now take. In 28, he said, come. In 29, he said, take. I have something that I want to give you. You've come to me and I've given you rest. Now I want you to take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart. And ye shall find, somebody say that word with me again. Rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. Thank you, Lord. Let's pray together. Father, if we've ever needed you, we need you tonight. Lord, there's hungry people in here that need to be fed from the Word of God. And I'm asking tonight, Lord, for divine order. I'm asking tonight for divine alignment, O God. Let my mind be in alignment with the mind and thoughts of God. Whatever you have for your people tonight, Lord, we're hungry for it. I pray that he that hath an ear would hear what the Spirit is saying. God, if there's more that you have for me tonight, I want it. If there's a deeper place that you want to take me, I want it. Lord, I want to be where I can hear your voice. I want to be where you can speak to my heart and impress on my spirit. I pray for your people tonight that would be ready to receive the word of God. And for this, I give you thanks and praise in Jesus' name. Let the church say amen. Amen. Praise God. I'm going to preach to you tonight. Um, It's a a thought that came to me that... um, I preached maybe a a different title or something several years ago. But I'm going to preach to you tonight about the second rest. He said, come unto me, all you that are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. And then he said, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, and I'll give you rest for your souls. Tonight I want to preach to you about the second rest. The second rest. And you may be seated in Jesus' name. I, uh... I believe that we live in a world where people live exhausted. People have learned how to live in an exhausted way. Um, When you're in public places and you meet people, sometimes you just look at folks, and I'm not saying this in a judgmental way, but when you walk by them, you just look at them, you think, man, they look tired. They just... They just look weary. 
I caught an early flight on Friday morning out of Sacramento, and uh, I had to get up at 3.45 to make my flight, and so I know the flight attendants had to be up early, and I was just hoping the pilots had good sleep. That's really all that matters. And uh, I stepped on the plane, and there were two little ladies there working, two young ladies, and I, I walked by and stepped on the plane, and I thought, they look tired. And, you know, uh, when you are, uh, when you're tired, you can't really think rationally. They say it's a horrible thing to make decisions when you're exhausted. But how many of us make decisions on a weekly basis absolutely exhausted? You make decisions for your family and, and you're tired and, and, uh, I want to say this tonight, I, I don't want this to come across in any way like I'm chastising you, but I want to tell you that exhaustion, I believe, is part of the plan of the enemy in the last days. The Bible said that he's going to do everything that he can to wear out the saints. And I believe the enemy wants you tired. I believe the devil wants you to be exhausted. And uh, the, the thing about it is that he really doesn't have to do anything to manipulate us to make that happen. When you look at society... Uh, we probably get less done per capita than any generation ever has. There's a lot more people doing things with access to more things than we've ever had. And when you realize how much technology we have and the things that our forefathers accomplished with no technology, we probably get less done than any generation has ever got done before with access to more resources than they ever had. And... Uh, it's very interesting to me because we can be weary before we've ever even worked a full day of work. We go to bed tired and then we're restless all night because we've had 57 cups of coffee that we had to drink because we were so tired and we kept drinking coffee and then we go to bed. And we get up and we go to work the next day and it just so happens on the day that you're, you're so weary that your boss, when you walk in, says, I need you to stay for a couple more hours after work today. And I want to tell you how this cycle works. I want to tell you that it is absolutely in the plans of this society for people to be weary. That's how we're wired. We get jobs so that we can build bigger homes drive nicer cars, and we finally buy the car and get the bigger payment and the house and get the bigger payment, and then we have to work more hours to pay for the car, more hours to pay for the house, so we never get to take the car on a trip and we never get to spend time with our family in the house. And then the enemy attacks our family because we're never together, and so then we're weary because our wife is leaving us or our husband is leaving us, and then we got bills to pay, and we got to go pay the lawyer, and we got to pay in the court system, and we got all that. Then we're worried about what we're going to do next. Are you seeing what I'm saying to you tonight? Weariness is the plan of the enemy. He wants us to be weary. And that's why Jesus said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Rest is part of the plan of God. 
I'm not going to jump off in the deep end of the pool tonight and discuss all the depths of, of what I'm saying this evening, but I want something to be crystal clear. That God himself established in creation after six days of work that he needed to show us rest. The Bible said that he rested on the seventh day. And it was not a principle that went away. All through the wilderness, when the children of Israel were in the wilderness, the Lord provided for them manna every morning. And the Bible said he told them, I don't want you to be stingy. I don't want you taking a bunch of extra manna in your house. I want you to take what you can eat. And when you take it in your home, if you take more than what you need, I'm going to let it spoil. That is until the sixth day. He said, then I want you to gather up enough today for tomorrow. And there's going to be a miracle in the rest. Are you hearing me? He said, there's going to be a miracle in the rest on the day of rest I'm going to sustain you with things that normally you would have to go get the will of God for his people even in the wilderness is you need to learn how to rest. Now the Bible said in Matthew 28 and 18, Jesus said all power in heaven and in earth is given to me. Somebody say all power. All power in heaven and earth is given to me. Jesus had all power, but I want to tell you something. I don't. And you don't. Jesus had all power in heaven and in earth. And when a man came to him and said, My daughter of 12 years of age is at the, the point of death. He was on his way to her house. And a woman touched the hem of his garment who had been sick for 12 years. And he stopped and he healed the woman. And the man begins to panic. He has all power in heaven and in earth. But he stopped on the way to that miracle to be sure to take care of this miracle. But he wasn't always doing miracles because he told his disciples. He said, I want you to come away with me and rest. You know, if I had all power in heaven and earth, I'd be trying to fix everybody. That woman that had an issue of blood for 12 years, I'd have been sure that she only had it for a day until I found out that I'd have been trying to fix that because that's what we do. We couldn't handle having all power in heaven and in earth. And when Jesus was healing the woman that touched him, the Bible said that he made the statement, who touched me? Because I felt virtue leave my body. Now when you look at that, all you see is the healing. But I want to focus on something here that's easily overlooked. Jesus made the statement, I felt virtue leave my body. Are you with me? He said, I felt virtue leave my body. Jesus monitored the virtue in his body so closely that when the woman touched him, he felt the virtue leave and he knew that it left. Jesus, who had all power in heaven and in earth, was monitoring the virtue that left him. You can overextend yourself so much that you exhaust yourself and become ineffective in the will of God in your life. I would say that if Jesus Christ, who had all power, somebody say all power, 
in heaven and in earth had to figure out a way to rest and to wait and to monitor virtue, I would say that you and I need to start monitoring the virtue that's in our lives. Now I'm going to preach to you for a few minutes tonight and then I'm going to get to my sermon. I'm just going to spend a little time here, but I want to tell you that we as God's people have got to learn to start monitoring the virtue that's in our lives. I'm telling you tonight, saints, that you only have so much emotion and you only have so much virtue that you can spend. We live in an age where people are adrenaline junkies. One of the greatest sicknesses in the world right now that people have and they don't even know they have it. It's called adrenal fatigue. People are having what they call when I was a kid. They would say it's just a nervous breakdown. But the more we study it and we, we, we look at it, we realize people are suffering with adrenal fatigue. They don't take the time to rest. And then when we come home, God forbid that we allow Hollywood to pull on us this way. But we'll turn on some kind of a show that the characters aren't real. The storyline's not real. The divorce that happened is not real. Come on now. The adultery that's happening in it is not real. And you find yourself sitting at home adrenally fatigued and drained. And you're bawling and you're squalling. And it's not even a real story. I remember when I was a little kid, somebody mistreated me and, and let me watch where the red fern grows. I'll never forget that. Dude stand there looking at that little old mound that he had planted his dog in, crying. And I was boo-hooing. I was bawling and squalling. When I was a kid, they had that uh, little cartoon, All Dogs Go to Heaven. That's a lie because I've seen some mean dogs. <laughs> All Dogs Go to Heaven. And I, I, rem I was probably seven years old. And I watched that cartoon, All Dogs Go to Heaven. And I cried. And I cried and I cried. I buried my face in a pillow. And I cried some more. I cried so hard when I lifted my face up off that pillow, my nose had been bleeding. Literally, my nose bled on the pillow from crying so stinking hard. Over a dog that wasn't even real. Are you hearing me tonight? And people get wrapped up in soap operas. They can tell you everything that's going on on there and who's dating who and who's cheating on who. And I would say who's being true, but that ain't never happened on a soap opera. All this crazy confusion. And you know what it's doing? It's constantly draining your virtue. It's constantly draining your reservoir. And then when you come to the house of the Lord, you wonder why I don't feel anything. You got drama in your family. You got drama at your job. You got drama on your TV. You got drama in the books you're reading. And then you wonder, why can't I feel God? Because we come to His presence absolutely emotionally drained. 
come into the presence of God and we are so drained that there's no hope and there's no life that we feel and there can be all the hope that we need in the room but we can't find the hope because we've lived in a fantasy world that is hopeless all week. Nothing left. You come home and your, your wife says, what's wrong with you? You don't ever talk to me. I'm like, I don't know. I make a living talking. I talk all the time. Because you don't talk to me. You know why that happens? Because we're drained. We stay drained. Can I just take a poll in here tonight? Now, this, this is not a news poll. Like, this is a real one. We're going to get real facts on this. This is real. How many of you feel like you live tired? Lord, we repent right now. Can, can I tell you that as a young preacher... I felt like I had to take every single invitation. And I would go preach places on Friday night and Saturday night. I can't tell you how many Saturday nights I'd drive into the night. And I'd pull into Anderson 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning. Get up and come to church and preach all day. And on Mondays when I'd get up out of bed, I felt like I'd been ran over by a Mack truck. And I'm going to tell you how weird it is. I'm serious. I'd be so exhausted when I'd go home on Sunday night that I would fall in the bed. I'd just lay in the bed and I knew I was exhausted. But while I'm laying there in the bed, it's like lights are flashing. I'm so wore out. And I, I was talking to someone this week and they said, you know what that is? It's the adrenaline overdose that you've lived on all week long. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you. The will of God in your life is for you to find a way to rest. I, I don't believe, I don't care what anybody says, I believe it's the will of God for you to be blessed. I believe it's the will of God for you to prosper. I believe that. You know that. I preach that. The first words that mankind ever heard in the garden when he was created was be blessed, be fruitful, and multiply. But it is not the will of God for you to be so quote unquote blessed that you are absolutely exhausted all the time and worthless to your family and worthless to your children. Listen, we've got to find a way to come back to the table and sit down with our families and discuss the word of God. That's what the Sabbath was all about. That's what rest was all about. Is to come to the house of God even in your home at the table and let his presence come to you and sit at the table with your family. I've been asking God to help me with this. My bishop's been on me. Dad has been on me the last few days. He said, you don't want to rest. I said, I do, Dad. He said, no, you don't. You don't want to rest. I, said, I do want to rest. He said, you're lying. I can tell you don't want to rest. I said, yes, I do, right after this. <laughs> and I'm going to tell you something. If you don't learn how to rest, there's always going to be a right after this. We live in a time where people have different kind of diagnosis when they go to the hospital, but I'm going to tell you what they're dying from. They're dying from exhaustion. They've wore themselves out. So that their kids can have the best. Well, you know what I made up in my mind a long time ago? 
if it keeps me from bringing my kids to the house of God, my kids aren't getting the best. If it keeps me from raising my children in truth, my kids aren't getting the best. I was talking to a lady the other day. I had gone into a doctor's office and uh, was getting, getting adjusted and talked to this lady. And uh, she was telling me about her kids. They'd had a, uh, I guess it was softball or something. It was a week he got really cold and they were playing softball. She told me all about her kids' games. And I said, uh, how was church this weekend? She got real quiet. She just looked at me. She said, we didn't make it. I said, what do you mean you didn't make it? She said, well, I, I told you about the softball thing. She said, we spent all day at the softball field. You know what? That's not the best. I, I, I don't want to hurt nobody tonight, but I'm just going to tell you, that's not the best. It's not the best when our kids don't learn to seek first the kingdom of God. I know you may feel like your, your kids are going to miss out on something. But there's nothing more important in their life that they could miss out on than being in the house of God. Oh. Pastor, I want my kids to learn teamwork. Then let them get connected with the body of Christ. Let your kids learn the value of Sunday school. Where they're going to learn songs like if we all pull together, how happy we'll be. So all I'm preaching to you in this introduction, I know it's been one of the longest introductions you've ever heard in your life. The good news is when there's a long introduction, it's usually a short sermon. All I want to tell you is that when we live so exhausted that God is getting our leftovers, I believe it frustrates God. I believe that God deserves my best. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand on this. But how many of you over the last few weeks have been laying in bed at night and said, man, I wish I'd have had time to pray today. But I had time to be on Instagram and I had time to be on Facebook and I had time to be entertained and I had time to be on the internet, but I didn't have time to pray. Oh, Lord, help me. It's going to get quiet in here right now. I wish I would have had time to pray today. Can I just say this tonight and you love me? I'm just going to quote the words of Jesus. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. If he is your greatest treasure and you love him with all your heart, you'll never go to bed another night in your life saying, I wish I would have had time to pray today. We've got to look at this through a different lens. Instead of saying, I've got to work, I don't have time to pray. we got to look at it a different way and say, I'm going to go to prayer before I go to work. Because if it wasn't for God, I wouldn't even have this job. God is a God of first and he loves first. And I'm saying to you, we're already exhausted. But I don't want to spend my life exhausting myself for the things of this world that are never going to pay me back. But if I'm going to do anything, I want to give it to the kingdom of God. I want to give God the first of my day. I want to give God the first of my increase. I want to be sure that I have sought Him first. Anybody here still believe that if you'll seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, that all these things will be added unto you? 
believe it. Seek first the kingdom of God. Now, I'm preaching all this to you, hopefully, to make some of you just mad enough that you get convicted enough to say, I probably do need to slow down just a little bit. But I'm going to tell you how we're going to do this. Jesus said, come unto me. And I'm going to tell you what I believe one of the greatest things that has ever been given to us, ever. I'm talking about the most powerful tool that has ever been given to us as humankind. That's prayer. Prayer is how we come to him. There is nothing in this world, I'm telling you right now, you hear me, there's nothing in this world that is more powerful than prayer. Nothing. What prayer produces in your life will put you in connection with the most powerful things that heaven has to offer. There are people that are so devoted. I'm talking about crazy devotion. You watch Olympians. They didn't just start practicing three months before the Olympics. Well, when I was 10 years old, my mom woke me up at 4.30 every morning, took me to the swimming pool. Come on. Michael Phelps said my mom dropped me off. I think it was either 4.30 or 5 o'clock. He had to meet his swimming coach every single morning. I'm like, and we feel bad for getting our kids up for church? Well, the thing is, Pastor, like he was dedicated and he got a medal. You know what? He's going to lay that medal down at the feet of Jesus someday. I think y'all were hoping I was going to preach on miracle signs and wonders tonight. At this point, I'm kind of wishing I would have. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Somebody shout rest. rest. Now, the power of this word. He said, I will give you rest. Rest, and I believe in rest. I want rest. The Greek word for rest here is anapao, and it simply means, by implication, to be refreshed, to cease from your labor. He said, come to me, and I will give you a refreshing. Come to me, and I will give you a refreshing. But that is the first rest. We've got to learn to have rest for our bodies. Now I'm going to preach to you about the second rest. Not only do we live in a world that is exhausted, but we live in a world that has no clue who they are. We live in a world that is constantly searching for identity. When children are allowing their bodies to be changed, parents are allowing their children to change their bodies, saying, I was born... A girl, but I feel like I'm a boy. I was born a boy, and I feel like I'm a girl. I want to tell you, this world is causing people to struggle with their identity. It's so sad to me when I look around 
and I see people that are struggling. I'm not saying this tonight to hurt anybody or be judgmental. I shouldn't even have to preference that. But I want you to understand that these people who are falling into this stuff, their hearts have been broken. Their lives have been shattered. And at some point, something happened to them where they felt confused. And I'm going to tell you what I believe. I believe that every single one of them, whether they are addicted to a bottle of alcohol or they are addicted to a drug, I want to tell you what I believe. I believe every one of them are trying to fill a void in their lives. But what they need to know tonight is that is not a bottle-sized void. That is not a pill-sized void. It is a God-sized void. You were created in the image of God, and your soul is hungry for God. Your soul is hungry for God. And while we step back, we point our fingers at this world, and you know tonight I'm not saying... I agree with what they're doing, but I am saying this. It's always easier to be judgmental than it is to offer a solution. That'd be too much work. They don't want to hear what I got to say. You don't know that. I'm telling you tonight that I'm going to believe it till I die. That the will of God in the end time is for people to be coming to the knowledge Of Jesus Christ every single day. We are seeing right now unprecedented harvest around the world. And we've got people that are willing to throw $100 and $1,000 and $5,000 and $10,000 into an offering plate for foreign missions. Oh, it's going to be tight here right now for just a second. And we'll give money to a missionary who's preaching to a race of people that we wouldn't walk across the street and shake their hand right now. Because it's easier to give to something and let somebody else go do the work than it is to love people. I'm preaching to the heart of some things in here tonight. It's funny to me how many millions and millions of dollars have been sent to Africa and foreign countries for missionaries, but there's still racism in people's hearts. We need God to help us. We need God to help us. I thank God for our missionaries. I thank God for every nation that I've preached in around the world. But I want to tell you, my preaching starts in my own home. And my preaching starts in my own city. My preaching starts with the waitress that's bringing me my food and looks like she's had a bad day. And because my steak wasn't cooked right, I say, I'm not going to give her a tip. She was a horrible waitress. You know what you need to do? You need to double up her tip and tell her that Jesus loves her. I know we don't enjoy this kind of preaching, but I'm, I'm here to tell you tonight, we got to let our light shine everywhere we go. You don't know what people are going through. You don't know what people are going through. There's no telling the kind of pain that people are experiencing. I sat down one night at a restaurant here in town, and this little old girl came up to the table, and I, I'm, I'm not being mean tonight, but I'm just saying to you, I wouldn't, have been, I wouldn't have been caught alone in a room with her. Let me just say that. Okay? She came up to the table and my family was there, so I felt comfortable. And I started talking to her and I said, where do you go to church? 
She said, I don't go to church. I said, are you from here? She said, no. I just moved here from California. She said, I don't have any family. I don't have anybody. She said, I came all this way to move here with my boyfriend. I've got a little kid who's like two or three years old. She started telling me her story. And forgive me for judging the book by its cover. But when I sat down, I thought, Lord, I hope she don't get close or say anything because I don't want this to feel really inappropriate. Isn't that how we are? Like, oh, better not look at her. I mean, what if she winks or something? (laughs) She opened up her heart. Probably get in trouble for doing it. Pulled a chair out and sat down. She said, tell me about your church. Tell me what's going on there. Let me tell you something, folks. I know that we are wired up to just look at people and judge them. And say, ah, they don't want this. But I'm telling you, there's people in this city that are waiting on one person to just reach out and be a lifeline to them. And say, I don't care where you've been. And I don't care what kind of mess you've made. And I don't care how messy your life is. I want you to know that there is a God who loves you. There is a God who cares about you. Oh, God. Oh, God, help me. Years ago when I was waiting tables. I probably shouldn't say this, but I'm going to say it. When I was waiting tables, I would always... Uh, my boss put pressure on me. I, I told her at first, I can't work any Sundays. And then finally they said we're short-handed. So I would come to church on Sunday morning. And when we said amen and, and, and Bishop said we're dismissed, I'd get off the drums and I'd run put on my clothes. And I'd go wait tables until I'd come home for choir practice and get dressed for church. And I'm going to tell you something that was good for me when I used to wait tables on Sunday. Anybody in here ever been a server? I know Lish has. We worked at the same restaurant. (laughs) Folks, I'm going to tell you something. Sundays were the worst days of the week to be a server. Because people would come in dressed up in their Sunday best. And they'd leave Friday's worst on the table. They'd come in talking about they'd been at church. You'd serve a whole big table of people talking about their church service. And they'd get up and walk away, 10, 12, 15 of them, there'd be $5 on the table. Man, it's quiet in here tonight. It's easy to let my light shine among everybody that believes like I believe. But I believe it's the will of God for us to let our light shine everywhere we go. And I want to tell you, there's a reason why people fight over my family when we go into restaurants. It ain't just because my girls are pretty. It's because when I walk in, they say, the preacher's here and he's a tipper. There ought not be a person that God has changed your life that you tip somebody 10% when you leave a restaurant. You represent the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. When we go into restaurants, can, can I love on you right here for just a minute? If you've been taking any of the cards of this church that are invites to church, if you're going to leave somebody a dumpy tip on the table, don't put one of them cards down. <laughs> 
I'm going to get in trouble right now. I'm going to need security to get me out of here tonight. Don't put down a card that says where you go to church and then complain about everything that's on your plate. It ain't going to hurt you to eat that steak a little bit more well done. Well, I'm paying. I understand. But listen, people need to know that God's been good to us. Boy, I've dug myself in deep tonight. What are you preaching about, Pastor? I'm preaching about revival. Well, it don't sound like revival. It is revival. Because everywhere we go, we're going to let people know how good God has been to us. Everywhere we go, we're going to let people know. My life is so blessed, you can't even imagine. Listen. I know the devil wants to bring shame on you all the time about where you've come from. And I don't want to embarrass anybody tonight. If you don't want to participate, then don't participate. But if when you came to the Lord, your life was a wreck and you were addicted and you were full of problems, I want you to stand to your feet right now. If you've been addicted from, uh, been, been set free from addiction, drugs, alcohol, whatever it may be. You know what this room is right now? It's a room full of testimonies. The Lord didn't set you free from drugs just so that you could say you're free from drugs. I believe that if the Lord set you free, it's so that you can go tell somebody else, if he did it for me, he can do it for you. Oh, I'm here to preach to you tonight. You may have walked in here addicted, but you can leave here set free by the power of the Holy Ghost. I took Brother Diaz to jail one time, not to drop him off. <laughs> took him to the Madison County Jail downtown. And uh, he said he was going to share his testimony. I wasn't ready. We were in the jail. And he said, last time I was in this building, he said, me and my daughter both got checked in the same day. Is that true? They both got arrested the same night. He said... There was a woman pulled up in a van. Where are you at, Sister Sandy? Where are you at? Will you stand up, sweetheart? I know you love attention so much. She's single, guys. I'm sorry. You don't ever have to send me another birthday card. I'm sorry. <laughs> you can be seated, sweetie. He said, there was a woman pulled up in a van, said First Pentecostal Church on it. Am I telling the truth? Rolled down the window. Invited him to church. He said, I came to church. Then went back to church. He said, man, I was nervous. Can I tell this whole story? He said, I was so nervous to go back to church. 
He said, I rolled a joint on my way to calm me down. He said, Woo! Them people are crazy. It's all about crazy. But what are we looking at right now? About 17, 18 years? 15 years? 15 years ago, somebody rolled up on them. He went from rolling a joint to come to church to standing up and lifting his hands and praising God. Running the aisles, leaping for joy. I'm almost done. I got to get to my point. I'm almost through with this introduction, so stay with me. He said, come to me. That, are la- that labor and are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. But this next verse, oh, it's so powerful. He said, take my yoke upon you. Now, this word yoke is, is, is to anybody that understands farming or whatever. This word yoke, how many of you know what a yoke is? When you see two animals yoked up together, put two oxen in it, put their heads on it, tighten it down, close it, they walk together. Why was Jesus saying, my yoke is easy? Well, the word yoke, it is the kind of yoke that you're thinking, but it's rabbinic language. When a rabbi would teach his disciples, when he would teach his young men, the messages that he taught them, his belief system, his values, was called his yoke. He would teach to them, and he would talk to them, And when they would ask his opinion about things, he would say, my yoke about this, or in other words, my ideas, my doctrine, the way I feel about it, this is my yoke. And he would begin to teach them his yoke. In other words, this is what I've attached myself to. It's what I believe and what I teach. And Jesus said, I want you to take my yoke upon you. When the world looks at us and the life that we live, they say, what a burden. You people are so bound. You people are so locked up. They look at us and they say, why in the world do you go to church like that all the time? Why do you act like that? Why in the world do you do those things? It's just emotional baggage. Jesus said, I want you to take my yoke on you, and I want you to learn of me. Are you hearing what I'm telling you? He said, I want you to take what I'm teaching you, and I want you to put it on. What kind of yoke was he teaching? It's the kind of yoke that we don't like to talk about. It gets really difficult to live the red letters that are in this book. But he said, my yoke is pretty interesting. Because my yoke says, love them that hate you. Come on. Love them that hate you. Do good to them that despitefully use you. Somebody ought to take on that yoke tonight. He said, if they slap you in the face, turn your cheek and let them smack you again. 
That doesn't sound easy. Oh, but when you understand the refreshing of forgiveness. There is nothing more powerful than the yoke of forgiveness. What kind of yoke was he teaching? Nicodemus came to him and he said, so what's your yoke? Nicodemus knows how rabbis are. He's a Pharisee. And he, he came to him and he said, I got some questions for you. He said, okay, let me give you some answers. He said, don't you, don't you marvel, Nicodemus, when I say to you that a man must be born again. He said, but Lord, he said, I'm an old man. How can I enter into my mother's womb a second time? He said, oh, Nicodemus. He said, when I tell you to be born again, I'm not telling you that your mother's going to give birth to you again. He said, because that which is born of the flesh is flesh. But that which is born of the spirit is spirit. He said, Nicodemus. This is in John chapter 3. He said, Nicodemus, except a man be born again of water and the spirit. He cannot see or enter the kingdom of heaven. What's his yoke? His yoke is saying, you don't have to go to hell. You don't have to be lost, Nicodemus. There is a way for you to escape this. If you'll be born again of the water and born again of the Spirit. I said at the table one night, I'm hurrying. I walked into a Denny's. I was preaching a revival out of town. And I walked into a Denny's with the pastor's family. We sat down at a table. And there was a young man sitting at, at a table next to us reading his Bible. And I commented. I said, man, that's a great book you're reading there. And he was like, oh, thank you. Yeah, it's a good one. Yeah. He started in. And uh, he got kind of challenging pretty quick. He's like, you guys are Pentecostals, aren't you? It's like, yeah, yeah, we are. Yes, we are. He said, you know, you guys, you're hung up on this thing about being born again. I said, oh, man, absolutely. I said, that's not a Pentecostal idea. Like, there's, I just want you to know, there's no such thing as Pentecostal scripture. There's just scripture. He's like, that, that's all there is. There's just scripture. And he said, yeah, 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 I know, I, I know. But you, you said that when you're born again of water, that that means baptism. He said, all that Jesus was talking about is when your mom's water burst. I said, sir, I said, I think maybe you missed the context of what Nicodemus said. Because Nicodemus said, how can I be born again? He made, he made reference to his natural birth. He said, how, how can I go back to my mother's womb a second time? I said, Jesus made the statement, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. I said, sir, I want to tell you, Jesus wasn't talking about your mother's water bursting when he said you must be born again of water. I said, I'm going to tell you, if you want to know about power, you think it's powerful that you got here when you were born the first time. I said, you ought to experience the power of being born again. Because the first time you were born, 
You were born in sin and you were, oh my my, and you were shaping in iniquity. When you were born, you were born falling short of the glory of God. But when you're born again, all of that sin nature, when you go down in the water in the name of Jesus Christ, it is not just so the church knows that you agree. When you go down in baptism in Jesus' name, it's for the remission of your sin. Let me tell you the rest of the story, sir. The disciples knew exactly what Jesus was talking about. Because when the day of Pentecost was fully come, and they came out of the upper room speaking in tongues, I know people think it brings confusion, but actually it brought clarity on the day of Pentecost. I said when they came out, Peter began to preach to them about this Jesus whom you crucified. God has raised him up and made him both Lord and Christ. And when they heard this, 2 and 37, they were pricked in their hearts. And they said to Peter and the other apostles, said he was standing with all 11 of them. And he said unto Peter, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sin and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. What's he talking about? Being born again of water and the Spirit. I'm hurrying to a close. I've been preaching way too long. Nobody say amen, please. He said, take my yoke upon you. What's his yoke? His yoke's what he's been teaching. He said, my yoke, my yoke is easy. And my burden. This is one of the easiest things to preach that I've ever preached. Because when people look at me and say, man, the way you live is such a burden. I don't think you understand what kind of burdens you can lay down. That burden of shame. That burden of hatred. Come on. I'm, I'm, I'm talking about that burden of condemnation. Constantly hanging over your head. I'm glad to tell you tonight. There's therefore now. No condemnation. To those who are in Christ Jesus. How do I get into Christ? Paul said we're baptized into Christ. You want to know how to get into a place where there's no condemnation? you got to get baptized into Christ. There is therefore now no condemnation. Why is there no condemnation? Because the old man has died and the old man's been washed away. You think his burden's heavy until you lay down the burden of addiction. Until you lay down the burden of strife. Come on. Until you lay down that burden that's kept you locked up. Well, my daddy was an alcoholic, so I'm going to be an alcoholic. The devil is a liar. My mother was a drug addict, so I'm going to be a drug addict. The devil is a liar. My father was abusive to women, so that's what I'm going to be. Let me tell you about your real father. Your father in heaven knows the number of hairs that's on your head. He knows everything about you. (laughs) 
He said, I want you to take my yoke on you. And ye shall find rest. Somebody say rest. He said, you shall find rest unto your souls. This is one of the most powerful revelations. Because the word rest is used twice. Come unto me that are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly. And you shall find rest unto your souls. In the English, when we read this, we see the word rest, and we're like, okay, cool, get rest. But do you know the second time he uses the word rest, it is a completely different word than the first time he used rest. When he said, you're going to come to me that are weary and heavy laden, whatever, when you come to me that labor, that are weary, you're heavy laden, I'm going to give you rest. He was talking about what I was talking to you about. We got to learn to rest a little bit. He said, when you come to me, I'll give you rest. But this is so powerful. He said, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I'm meek and lowly. And he said, you shall find rest for your soul. This word in the Greek is anapausis. It's completely different than the first rest. Because the first rest gives you rest for your body. But the second rest, he said literally, it's, an, it's like an intermission. It's a pause. It's a ceasing. It stops. There's no more labor, and it's for your soul. Are you hearing what I'm telling you? He said, if you'll come to me, I'll give you some rest in your body. But if you'll take my yoke on you, he said, your soul will find rest forever. Your search is over. There's nothing else for you to know. If you'll take my yoke on you, your soul's going to find rest. If you'll take what I've been teaching you, your soul will find rest. I thank God for the first rest, but there is no rest like the second rest. Because this world is searching, and they are hungry for something. You may be here tonight looking for answers. You may be here tonight wondering who you are and what your life is going to be. Your soul may be weary. Your soul may be tired. But I'm here to tell you about the second rest tonight. If you'll take his yoke upon you, you're going to find a rest like you have never known. He came to the well and he said, would you give me something to drink? And she said, excuse me, do you know who I am? He said, ma'am, if you only knew who was asking you for a drink of water, he said, I'm here to give you a trade. He said, I want to give, Lord, I feel his spirit right now. He said, I want to give you a drink of water that you will never thirst again. What was he saying? He was saying, ma'am, I want to introduce you to the second rest. You've been searching. You've had five husbands, and the one that you're with is not your own. You've been looking for love in all the wrong places. But if you'll take my yoke on you, I'm going to give you rest I'm going to give you rest so I'm here tonight I've done all of this talking forever and a day and the sun's getting ready to come up because I've been here so long but I'm here to convince one person if that's all I'd be happy to convince one person in this place tonight I can say this statement without a single hesitation in my voice Whatever you've been looking for, I know the answer. Whatever you've been searching for, 
Whatever your soul is hungry for. I don't care what kind of mess you've made with your life. I don't care. I don't care what kind of mess you've made with your life. You have never experienced anything like the second rest. I don't care if you've been a gangbanger. I don't care if you've been a prostitute. I don't care if you've been a woman of the night. I don't care what you've been. It doesn't matter what you've been. It doesn't matter where you've gone. And it don't matter what kind of family you were born into. It doesn't matter how rough your upbringing was. I want to tell you about a rest tonight that will change you forever. And the good news about it is when you find rest for your soul, it's rest for eternity. When you submit your life to God and you give your will to God, There is a treasure that's laid up for you. I'm telling you tonight, you've got to know the second rest. Rest. I could use a little rest from my body. But there ain't nothing like rest from my soul. We're going to have a testimony service right here and right now. If you know what I'm talking about tonight with that second rest. And the Lord picked you up and brought you out of a terrible pit. If the Lord changed your life and established your going. And you know tonight about that second rest. I just want you to look back over your shoulder for just a moment in time. And remember what life was like before you knew him. And then I want you to begin to give God praise that he's brought you from a mighty, mighty long way. You may have been an alcoholic, but you're not an alcoholic anymore. You may have been a pervert, but you're not a pervert anymore. Come on, somebody. You may have been sick and addicted, but you're not addicted anymore. You may have been addicted to pills, but pills are done in your life. I'm telling you about the second rest. I wish somebody rejoiced at the goodness of God right now. If he brought you out of darkness into his marvelous light, would you give him praise right now? If he's brought you out and brought you a mighty long way, would you give him praise? Hallelujah. You can find rest in a lot of places. You know, I've been... I've been blessed to see a lot of this old world. I've got some places that I love to go rest. Two times in my life I've been to the Virgin Islands. That's some mighty fine rest. I've been blessed to go to Hawaii once in my life. That's some good rest. I thank the Lord for the times and vacation, you know, where we just rest a little bit. That feels good. But I've never experienced anything like the second rest you're only going to find that in one place because you can find rest for your body in a hammock you can find rest for your body in a hotel room somewhere but you can only find rest for your soul in one place and that's when you take his yoke upon you that's when you learn of him there is no shortcut to it tonight but I feel like somebody in this house is hungry for victory I feel like somebody in this house is tired of searching. I feel like somebody in this house tonight is tired of looking for love in all the wrong places. 
If you want the rest of God in your life, would you just stretch your hands towards heaven right now and say, Lord, I submit myself to you and I take your yoke on me. I want your word on my mind. I want your word in my life.